subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for conversations with veterinarians, oncologists, rehab therapists, and other experts discussing amputation for dogs and cats. Find more info, helpful care tips, and a free gift at tripods.com slash radio. Thank you for tuning in to Tripod Talk Radio, where we're spreading the word that it's better to hop on three legs than limp on four. Hosted by Jim and Renee and Wyatt Ray of the Tripod Blogs community at tripods.com, Jerry's place for canine amputees and their people. Today we are honored to have Arlene Weintraub here to discuss cancer in pets and humans. Specifically, we'll talk about the importance of comparative oncology and clinical trials for canine cancer treatments. Arlene is an experienced science journalist and author of the new book, HEAL, The Vital Role of Dogs in the Search for Cancer Cures. For more information, please visit HealDogsAndCancer.com and find our book review at Amazon.Tripods.com. We have a lot to discuss about how dogs are helping us find a cure for cancer. So let's get started. Welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us, Arlene. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, Arlene. It's Renee here, and um, we're so excited to, to have you as our guest because we just finished reading your book, and we are just thrilled that, that you you wrote such a, a an incredible informational piece about about comparative oncology, which um, intimidates a lot of people just to even hear those words put together. Um, so we're glad you're here today so you can explain um, everything that you learned and um, why people need to read this book. So thank you for being here. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. Sure. Well, um, you know, uh, for folks that uh, haven't uh, read the uh, introduction about the, the book, um, Arlene wrote this. Uh, after her sister Beth passed away from gastric cancer. And I just want to say I'm so sorry. Um, I, I just can't even imagine what that was like for you. And, and you know, we in our community, we, we know about cancer. We are touched by it every single day. And um, we know how hard it must have been for you to write the book while you were coping with your own loss there. And... I just, I'm curious, um, you know, how did you even find the strength to start writing something like this? Um, was there someone or something that, that kept you inspired and, and going? Did you ever want to quit while you were writing it? It's such a huge topic. I'd, I'd love to hear how you approached it. Well, actually, I um, I learned about the topic during the year that my sister was fighting her cancer. I was working on staff at Business Week magazine as a science writer, and these two veterinarians from Texas A&M showed up and and basically uh, opened my eyes to this topic of comparative oncology. I, I knew that dogs get cancer, but I had no idea they get the, the same cancers that people get and that they could actually help to find new therapies for cancer. And I come from a family of dog lovers. <laughs> you know, the dogs started arriving before I did, and uh, 
I just, you know, I I was really captivated by the topic, and uh, it, it's it's difficult to be sad around dogs, <laughs> so mm-hmm. that always kept me going. And do you have a dog of your own right now? Yes, I have a terrier mix. Her name is Molly, uh, and uh, luckily, I've never had a, a cancer experience in, in any dog, but uh, but yeah. Wow. Well, I I am so happy that that you um you have a, a great healthy dog there. That's awesome. Um and and with with a, a topic like this, I mean, it's it's you're a science writer by uh by background. Um I I'm just so impressed at how you managed to distill everything down so that um lay people like me who don't have a science background can understand it. I I literally read your book in about a and I thought it was going to take me a lot longer. So I really just want to encourage people to pick up a copy of this because um, you're going to love it. She has so many so many great stories in there and, and examples of, of how comparative oncology is, is helping. Um, I um, would love for you to explain the basics of comparative oncology before we um, dive further into this. Um, tell me about what is it, Who's doing it and why? Okay, well, the basic idea behind comparative oncology is that dogs get many of the same cancers that people get, including melanoma, breast cancer, lymphoma, gastric cancer, which is uh, what my sister had, and, and, and several other types of brain cancer. And they are actually much better models for the disease than rodents are. As, as you probably know, mice and rats are very commonly used in, in medical research to help develop new therapies. But they don't get cancer naturally. They don't live in our environment. Uh, you know, they're, it, it's a very artificial situation. So in comparative oncology, veterinarians and scientists who study human oncology work together to research new therapies that hopefully will end up working in both dogs and people and, and maybe even cats. Now, when, when you use the words research and dogs in the same sentence, you know, a lot of people's red flag goes up. And I know that the first time I heard that, too, when, when our dog Jerry was going through cancer um, and somebody mentioned clinical trials, we, like, we just said, well, why would we do that? Oh, my gosh, they're not going to test on my dog. Um, tell me what, you know, that's such a gut reaction for most people. Why shouldn't we feel that way when, when we're talking about this subject? Right. Well, as I say um, at the beginning of the book, this is not animal research. These aren't dogs that live in labs and are given cancer and then given these sort of unproven therapies to see what happens. Um, for, For the most part, these are clinical trials. They happen in veterinary clinics, and they're very similar to human trials in that they're designed for patients to get access to cutting-edge therapies. And first and foremost, the idea is to help the patient, possibly cure the patient. Um, And oftentimes there are patients that have no other options. And so I emphasize in the book that it's ethically, it's very different from animal research because these are people's family members. It's just like enrolling a child in a clinical trial or enrolling yourself in a clinical, in a clinical trial. Uh, it's designed to help the patient. 
And in in your book, um, you you talk to so many of those pet parents about their dogs and cats who were in these clinical trials. And um, I would love to hear some examples of of some of the um, people that you talked to. Um, Can you share some of the experiences that you you wrote about in the book? Sure. Uh, Well, one of my favorites, uh, actually, the the dog is no longer living, but it's still one of my favorite anecdotes is a dog, a Labrador retriever named Emmy, who was treated at Colorado State University. She had bone cancer in one of her legs and went through uh, amputation. And she also participated in a clinical trial of a type of gene therapy. This is a very exciting area of research in in many diseases. And the idea is basically to insert a gene into the body that would churn out a therapeutic protein um, that that may shrink cancer. And so uh, she did very well in this trial. Uh, She actually gained three years of life and ended up dying of old age. And uh, her... Yeah, and her her owner was a survivor of breast cancer. So they had a very special bond. And, uh, of course, you know, the owner was initially not very sure about (laughs) enrolling her dog in in the trial or even treating her dog with traditional chemotherapy, which she also had because chemo is a, a terrible experience for people and there's a natural reluctance. But in the end, she obviously was very happy she did it. I love I love that Emmy beat those odds, and I mean three years is you know it's rare. It, we've seen it happen in our community. We've seen dogs go five years after osteosarcoma. Um, they you know they just they surprise us, and I would I would love for there to be more dogs like Emmy who who passed away from something other than the cancer. So it's it's so awesome that that she had this therapy. Um, Gene therapy is a little confusing to me. So can you um, elaborate a little bit more on that and, and tell us a little bit more about what you learned? Sure. Well, uh, in in some diseases, gene therapy is being looked at as a way to actually replace a faulty gene. Uh, in the case of, of cancer, though, what you do is you basically insert a, a, a new gene in to the body, and uh, gene, all genes produce proteins, and proteins can be thera- very therapeutic. So the idea behind this therapy that was tested at uh, at Colorado State was to insert a therapeutic gene in the body, and uh, and it would it would turn out this this protein that that's essentially an anti-cancer agent. So it's basically reprogramming the body to fight the cancer. And they create these new genes in in a lab situation and then put them in the body, or are they they from another source, or where do they come from? Um, Yes, well, they're they're inspired by genes that we have naturally in our body, and um, and they're they're engineered and then inserted. But it's uh, it's a it's kind of an early stage idea in cancer, and there's a lot of research going on right now. That's really exciting. I mean, can you imagine just, you know, here, take this gene and put it inside you and it's gone. Goodbye, cancer. That would be like, wow. Um, Now, with all of the the pet parents that you talked to, um, did you talk to any that had regrets about about doing the clinical trials or what were some of the, the downsides that they might have shared with you? 
Well, it's interesting. None of them had regrets. Obviously, some of the dogs did not respond well and were were moved to other therapies or taken out of the trials or, or even euthanized. And still, none of the pet parents had any regrets because they felt that they were contributing to knowledge that could ultimately help other pets in the future and possibly even people. And that was also very inspiring. You asked me earlier what was my source of inspiration. Well, <laughs> you know, that, that kind of feedback was really inspiring. And, and very early in my research process, I met actually two biologists who were working in Silicon Valley. And their dog was quite young, six or seven, and she came down with multiple myeloma and participated in one of these trials and ended up gaining two years of life. So she she still died fairly young, but, but they said to me, um, we believe in science. And I kept hearing that <laughs> as I continued uh-huh. to do my research, and it was very inspiring. I I would have to say that after after reading your book and through my own experience with talking to oncology veterinarians and researchers and things, um, my um, – my belief in science has definitely evolved as well. Um, when our dog, Jerry, was going through osteosarcoma, we opted out of chemo. And this was back in 2006. But we just, you know, we we had these images of, of him losing his fur and being sick and, you know, just like exactly what happens with humans. And the more I see the way oncologists uh, and these, these clinical trials are, are able to manage the symptoms and the way they put quality of life first for these animals is um, is just amazing. It's, it's awesome to see. And I hope I never have to go through that again with a dog. But um, if I do, you know, I would, I would give it some serious thought and, and, and consider, give it more consideration than I did last time. Um, I, it, things have changed even in the last 10 years. They've changed so much. And so it's so exciting to read all of these examples that you share in the book. Um, I love the way you divided up the book into chapters about different types of cancer. And um, as you know, our community deals with bone cancer uh, and mast cell cancers um, quite a bit. So can you share uh, some of what you learned, some of the experimental treatments that um, scientists are working on right now for bone cancer and, and mast cell cancers? Right. Well, uh, bone cancer, as you know, osteosarcoma is very similar in dogs and in in children, and so it, it's con- comparative oncology is considered uh, particularly um, important for finding new uh, osteosarcoma cures for children. Um, humans don't do nearly as well with amputation as as dogs do because of course dogs have four legs and tend to do very well on on three but i um i wrote about one particular drug called mtppe that's um that's an abbreviation for a very long scientific name and actually spoke to a, a young woman who was cured by this drug in a clinical trial involving children and then it went through a regulatory process that was just crazy and never got approved in the United States. And it, it was wow. especially 
effective in dogs. And I've heard that there are ongoing efforts to get it approved in the U.S. Obviously, um, veterinarians and doctors who treat people really want to get a hold of this drug. So, um, so that was a particularly interesting example. The gene therapy was was really interesting. And, and of, of course, there are also new surgical techniques in osteosarcoma that are being tried in dogs, including techniques for for removing the tumor without needing amputation, uh, improved techniques for being able to visualize the tumors, uh, get to get them to literally light up so that surgeons do a better job of removing all the cancer cells. So that that's that's all very exciting research. Um, mast cell tumors uh, are, are are somewhat different. They can be often cured with surgery if they haven't spread. It's when they spread where um, where new therapies are are needed. And actually, the first comparative oncology trial that I wrote about resulted in Palladia which was the first cancer treatment approved just for dogs. And, uh, and, and that is an interesting drug. It's part of a class of drugs called tyrosine kinase inhibitors, which are now very widely used in people as well. And uh, there's still ongoing research uh, in that class of drugs. I love the way the drug names just roll off your tongue. <laughs> you, are, you are so well acquainted with them. I, I, I know we, a lot of us at Tripods know what Palladia is. Uh, and um, it's, uh, it's just now something that um, people whose dogs have bone cancer um, are, are using, um, typically when um, metastasis happens. But for mast cell, um, people have been talking about it for, for quite a while, and, and some people try it, and... Um, it works for some dogs, and it, it just has these terrible side effects for others, so it's kind of a, a crapshoot. Um, but I'm curious, um, in, your, in your research, um, did any of the, the oncologists and the researchers that you talked to, were they looking at causes for cancer, or, or are they more focused on, on treating it, or where's the real excess in all of their research? The major emphasis is on treatment, but there is a, a there's a, a I guess a school of thought out there that our pets can also be very valuable in studying the causes of cancer, particularly environmental cancer. And I include a chapter on cats in, in my book, <laughs> and um, and include which includes some research on things like secondhand smoke. And its effect on cancer. There, there were a number of studies done in cats. As you know, cats groom themselves, and so they ingest things in the environment, and are, are considered ver a very good model for the environmental risks that we all face. So there is kind of, I would say, a small research effort focused on on trying to determine the causes of cancer. Also. I write about a, a study that you might have heard of. It's the Golden Retriever Lifetime Study, which was started by the oh, Morris yeah. Animal Foundation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, uh, we love Morris. We're huge fans of Morris at Tripods. 
Right. So part of uh, the purpose of that study is, you know, they're, they're tracking several thousand golden retrievers over their lifetime. And part of the, the, the hope there is that there will be some themes that come out about the possible causes of cancer and other diseases that affect golden retrievers. That is, that's good to know. It's really, really good to know that they're, they're approaching that angle as well. Um, I, w I would love to talk more about cats because we, uh, we do have quite a few cat members who have joined us. And um, cats have been, it's, it's crazy. There's um, a few cats who've joined us because of osteosarcoma, which is ask any oncologist and they'll say, wow, that's, that's just rare. That never happens. But it, it happens. We, they join us. We see them. These cats lose their leg to this disease they're not supposed to get. Um, and when I was reading your book, it, it blew my mind when you wrote about how cats who are, have been around secondhand smoke have been shown to ingest the toxins from the smoke. That is incredible. Can you tell me more about what you learned uh, about cats and, and, and cancer and these clinical trials and things? Yes. Uh, well, in addition to looking at environmental risks, uh, and there are ongoing studies in that area, um, cats are a, a considered a particularly good model for some types of cancer. And the, the number one cancer is triple negative breast cancer, which is very similar in, to mammary cancer in cats. This is the hardest type of breast cancer to treat, and there's a huge demand for, for new therapies for both people and cats. And so there's a, a, a lot of research going on there. I also wrote about a, an interesting trial. I went to the University of Illinois, and I wrote about a trial that's being done with metformin, which is an approved diabetes drug that's used by millions of diabetes patients around the world. And observational studies have found that Patients with diabetes on metformin have a very low risk of cancer. So now there's a tremendous amount of interest in finding out if metformin might also be used to treat cancer. And I, I went out to the University of Illinois and found out about a trial of metformin, met one of the cats in the trial, and she, it was only a two-week trial, but she, uh, she is still alive and managing her, wow. her cancer quite well. Oh, that's wonderful. That that is wonderful. Do you find that uh, that cat parents are um, will as willing to to do clinical trials as as dog parents? Is there a difference in how they they approach it? Unfortunately, there there's a, a huge difference because cats are not great patients, and if, for any <laughs> clinical trial, you you have to be a fantastic patient, and uh, and you know dogs will do anything for a treat. They're often very happy to go to the vet. Cats, it can be very difficult just to even get them in the in the carrier to get to get in the car to go to the vet. Uh, Fluffy, Fluffy, who was a cat that I met, was an exception to this. Um, she was very social, very happy. She part of the trial involved actually having to stay in the veterinary clinic for a couple of days. She just was not never got nervous like wow. the dogs, <laughs> you know. So that's the kind of patient that's the kind of patient you need and. They can be very difficult to find. I I would definitely say that based on on the cat members who have blogged about their experiences. That's a, a one in a million cat there. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but uh, 
Now, you know, one of the, the most shocking things I learned in your book is that there are millions of dollars out there for cancer research in humans and cancer therapies, and all of this money is out there. But when comparative oncology researchers go to apply for grants, they're often turned down. And that just, I, I went, whoa, what, what's going on here? Can you tell me why, why this is happening, and, and what can we do as, as advocates to, to change that? Well, yeah, I was amazed by that, too. I asked that question everywhere I went. You know, I, I, I said, well, why can't you go to the, the, you know, Breast Cancer Foundation or <laughs> this foundation or that foundation? Mm-hmm. They have millions of dollars, and they all get turned down quite often because the responses they get say things like, why would we fund research in dogs when we can do mouse trials? So there seems to be a lack of understanding out there, even in the scientific community, of the value of dogs as a model for, for cancer. And there's a lot of people out there that are trying to change that, but it's it's still difficult. And in, in my book, I list a number of foundations that are focused entirely on animal cancer or comparative oncology. And... Um, and so I think one thing that everybody can do is to make donations to those uh, causes, which I, which I encourage in the book, definitely, mm-hmm. because I think, uh, I think that's what's needed is just more of a knowledge of the importance of y- using our pets in research and the advantages that this is going to offer, not just for people, but for veterinary medicine also. I, I would I would definitely um, agree. I love the uh, the list of uh, foundations that you put in your book, and you put uh, Puppy Up Foundation, of course, which is one of one of our favorites. We're we're a little biased because we know Luke personally, and we're there when he first uh, took off on his 2,000 mile walk from Austin to Boston. He's he's an interesting guy, and and we're just really in awe of what he's managed to do with with Puppy Yet. Um, so they're a, a great cause to um, to rally behind. Um, as far as uh, donating to universities and, and things like that, what are some of the top universities that are, are leading the way in this field? Well, there's, uh, there's actually a, a website where they are all consolidated. It's a Comparative Oncology Trials Consortium. It has a list of all of the colleges that participate in, in this. But some of the leaders are Colorado State University, which we talked about, uh, the University of California at Davis, Ohio State University, uh, and Texas A&M, which, which we talked about. But I, I really encourage dog owners who are facing cancer to call their closest veterinary school first to find out if they're participating in this research because uh, it's really spreading. It's growing pretty fast, and a lot of universities are now participating. That's awesome to hear. Um, I know, it, you know, teaching hospitals are just amazing places, and, and the people who work there are they're they're really changing things for the better. So um, yeah, we we like to encourage people to to check out their their local institution if they're they're lucky enough to be near one. Um, that first website that you mentioned, the um, Comparative Oncology, what was it called? The Comparative Oncology Foundation. Yes, it's the um, Comparative Oncology uh, Consortium. And hold on a minute. <laughs> 
Yeah, the Imperial Oncology Trials Consortium. Yeah. Do you happen to know the website address? Yes, it's ccrod.cancer.gov. It's part of actually the National Cancer Institute, but people can also just search for Comparative Oncology Trials Consortium, and it's the first thing that comes up. Awesome. We'll make sure that people do that, Um, and we'll be sure to put that link in our uh, upcoming post about your book. We're going to definitely get the word out so that it's under a a lot of Christmas trees and and on, on holiday tables this this season because people need to read this. It's really important that we educate everybody about this. Um, I was shocked to read that human doctors are also kind of, uh, I want to say clueless, but really, I mean, I've heard stories, and in your book you cite different examples of doctors, human doctors who had no idea that dogs even get cancer. Um, Were you surprised by that? I was surprised, and uh, one of the examples I, I give actually is of a Texas A&M veterinarian who did a seminar at MD Anderson, one of the top cancer centers in the world, and she got responses from doctors who said, get out of here. Dogs get cancer? <laughs> you know, they they just wow. didn't even know that dogs get the disease, and so um, just by educating them, there ended up being a major research uh, partnership between the two institutions. Uh, so, so you know, it's good that some veterinarians are getting out there and educating the medical community about this. Awesome. Well, we will be there to help them. Now, we just we have under a minute, but I just want to ask you, you know, what kind, what can we do to to be? I mean, it's hard to be hopeful sometimes when when you're surrounded by cancer. We see it all the time. Um, do we have any kind of, I don't want to say, dare, dare we hope for, for a cure? I mean, do you see that on the horizon based on what, what you learned and, and the people that you talked to? Do you see that in our future? Uh, I do see it in in the future. I think there's a lot that's still to be learned, but I do provide examples in the book of dogs who were cured, and and that gave me a lot of hope. Because as you can imagine, I went through this terrible personal tragedy. I, I went into this book not believing in science at all and came out of it much more hopeful that there will be a cure. That to hear. I, you know, you're so, you're so close to the subject in, in so many ways, so it's very reassuring coming from you. Um, Arlene, we really, really appreciate your time today. I, everybody, please pick up a copy of her book. It's called Heal. The Vital Role of Dogs in the Search for Cancer Cures. And there is, who's the dog on the cover of your book, by the way? It's such a gorgeous little kit. Uh, yes, as I tell people, the dog is a lovely model <laughs> who, as far as I know, does not have cancer, but I appreciate the, the dog's loveliness on my cover. <laughs> she, was a, she was a good choice for, for the cover. So um, everybody, get a copy and... Um, Arlene, thank you. Keep up the great work, and we uh, we hope to meet you in person someday and, and talk more about this. Great. Thank you for having me. Yes, yeah, thank you so much for your time, Arlene. 
Listeners can learn more about your work at ArleneWeintraub.com and your new book at HealDogsAndCancer.com. And thank you for sending the book. Renee has published her review at Amazon.Tripods.com. Until next time, find more helpful pet cancer and amputation resources in the Tripods blogs, forums, and live chat at Tripods.com. Until next time on Tripod Talk Radio, learn more about canine amputation recovery and find the best gear for three-legged dogs at tripods.com. Subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for more pet amputation tips from experts and claim your free gift just for listeners at downloads.tripods.com slash podcast. True.